here we are in week number three of this series. I, I bet you didn't think you'd make it this far. Well, you did. We're here. Week number three. Now, we have given you a disclaimer on both of the two previous weeks. And that disclaimer has basically said this, that if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, and if, or if you may be a follower of Jesus, but you're just kind of here checking us out, we said that the previous two weeks that, that what we're talking about, you get kind of a pass and you get to kind of look into the garage and see some of the things that are going on under the surface here behind the scenes of Stuttgart Harvest Church. And you had a great, great opportunity to do that. But this morning, we have no disclaimer for you this morning. So even if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, what we're talking about today can still make a difference in your life and can still be a very positive thing if you would take a step with us in your life. And for you, if you're still kind of checking out Stuttgart Harvest Church, that applies to you as well. What we're talking about today, what we're talking about today, sorry about that, I may have a little connection problem on my, my mic, but what we're talking about today will also be something that you could apply really in your life right now and still be in the process of checking out Stuttgart Harvest Church, and that would still, still be good. So no disclaimer today. Everything that we're going to talk about, you can actually participate in and, and involve that on some level that you choose in your life. Now, let me tell you a little bit about uh, my uh, and Vanessa's life over the past six months. Uh, let's go back to the week of Christmas. The week of Christmas, um, we uh, had we celebrated Christmas and did the the gifts and all that. And as soon as that afternoon kind of wrapped up, we had the 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 Yukon loaded, and we had everything in it. And we jumped in the Yukon and we took off and we headed to the Washita National Forest. It's about we where we went was about two hours past Hot Springs deep, deep into the woods. And that's where her parents have a cabin, just a little cabin in the woods. Fat man by the window stood, that would be me. And we, we went to that cabin, deep, deep, deep into the woods. And we love to get away. And we love to go there. It is so beautiful. And we just, you know, as... Whenever a weekend allows for us to do that, we love to jump in the car and go to that cabin. We grow closer to each other when all the kind of, all the, there are no cell towers out there, you know, so it's, it's pretty isolated. We grow, grow closer to each other out there in the woods at that cabin. So I, just to give you an idea of why, we love going out there. I, I selected one picture off of my phone, and I don't know if you can see that. That is this fall, and we stopped as we were driving through um, the creek, and we took a picture out the window there. That's where, that's where it is. And it is so amazing out there. It is so peaceful. It is so good. No cell towers. <laughs> I love that. Now, about uh, we, we, we can move on from there now. But we're at that cabin about um, mid-morning, two days after Christmas, okay? Mid-morning, two days after Christmas, um, we begin to hear uh, a 
truck making its way through the the terrain uh, toward the cabin. And we can hear it crossing, driving through the, the creeks where you drive through the creeks. So we hear it coming a long ways off, and we never know. But sure enough, it's coming towards the cabin. It crosses the last creek, which heads to the cabin, and, and the truck pulls up, drives up the little the little mountain, and, and it stops. And it's Vanessa's uncle. And um, so they had driven out. Um, but turns out um, there had been a fire in part of our house. Um, and thankfully, the house did not burn down, and it did not spread. It was contained to one one place, um, and so they were just kind of coming up to tell us, "Hey, there's been a house fire. You need you need to come home." So we we threw all of our stuff back into the the car, and we uh, took off, and we headed to the house. Um, thankfully, damage contained, but the cleanup from that because we didn't send it to the insurance for some specific reasons. It was just and so we did the cleanup and we did the repairs what we were able to do and it took the better part of four or five months the the process of that because we're not professionals and so there were during that four or five months it just every weekend it seemed most every weekend was consumed with throwing things away uh, cleaning up soot and fire stuff and it, it just it was consuming so um, cleaning 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 that was probably the big thing um, and we, we were just exhausted it would be about six months before we would get to go visit her parents cabin again and um, which happened actually last month we went for our first time and so but our our lives we could feel that we did not really get to get away on a weekend like we would have wanted to. We could feel that in our lives. We were tired. We were exhausted. We could feel that even in our relationship. You see, for, I think for all of us, really, when work um, and when family schedules get so packed, our connections with each other begin to get strained. And our connections begin to get tired because we're tired and they begin to get tried because we are tried and we begin to get a little weak in our relationships <clears throat> our connections with other people they suffer when we don't take the time to connect now true isn't that true as well for you we lose a connectedness when we don't have time. We lose a connectedness. And I'm, I'm talking about non-work time and non-event time. And even I'm really even talking about non-sport team time, even with your family. We feel that connectedness being strained when we are so busy. Because 
It's in those downtime moments where we really get to care for each other. Where we really get to relate and we get to talk and we get to laugh. Maybe even you get to cry. Not me, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> but maybe you get to cry. That kind of stuff, you know what, in our lives, it seems to me, that's the kind of stuff that happens around the campfire, right? As you came in this morning, you saw the tents. And as you came in here this morning, you saw our fire. And what we're helping you understand is just maybe, just maybe, there are these moments in our life where we just need to gather around the campfire as a family. And you can feel it and sense it in your relationships when you miss it. Not only do we get tired, but our relationships get tired too. If we don't hit the pause button on our life and just pause to sit around the relationship campfire. Now, if this is vital for our families, then I know this to be true. It's also vital for our church family. Because after all, Jesus describes us as part of his family. Not just people he knows, not just people that he wants to save. He describes us as part of his family family. At Stuttgart Harvest Church, this kind of family time campfire environment for us, we call it small groups. And that's why if you're not part of a small group, the three times of year that we offer those small groups, then it's very possible that you may not feel deeply connected to the sense of family at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Because if we allow our schedule or our travel or even team practice to keep us away from a group, or maybe, maybe, Maybe we've just made a decision somehow, and, and we guys sometimes are, the, are, are this, this happens to us a lot. We may make a decision to say, I'm going to dig in my heels, and Harley, you can pull, or you can try to push, you can try to drag me into a group, but I'm dug in. I will never be part of a group. That's just not what I do. It's not my thing. If we choose that, we are missing Really, the biggest part of what it means to be part of the Stuttgart Harvest Church family. In our marketing, when we put things out there, we like to say this. At Stuttgart Harvest Church, no perfect people allowed, no one stands alone, and of course, no making out on the back row. Now, there's those three statements say something very significant about our church. The first one says, no perfect people allowed, which means this. We understand we're not pretending life is messy. It's not that it can be messy. We understand that for every single one of us, on some level, our lives are messy because that's the nature of life 
this side of heaven, and we admit that. We do not pretend to have it all together, and we don't pretend to be perfect. That's an important thing to communicate about our church, right? No perfect people allowed. The second thing I'm going to skip for a moment. Let's go to the third. No making out on the back row. And you're like, that's that's stupid, Harley. And you're right, it is. I love it. It, it is dumb, but the, the reason why we include a statement like that, that, as silly as that is, there's a purpose behind that, and here's the purpose, one, one of the purposes, maybe the main purpose. We are trying to communicate to the people in this area that we take God seriously, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Have you ever been in an environment where people really take themselves really seriously? Maybe too seriously? It's hard to be around those people, isn't it? Especially in a church. We let them know, hey, listen, we can laugh at ourselves. We can make fun of ourselves. We can have fun about that. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We're not, we're not self-righteous. Okay? Now let's go to the middle statement. No one stands alone. No perfect people allowed, no one stands alone, and hey, no making out on the back row. No one stands alone. That can only happen when we help someone get into a small group. So, if Jesus has described us as family, let's see how Jesus handles this small group thing. And if we are a follower of Jesus or investigating following Jesus, then maybe we should do what Jesus did. Maybe we should just try what Jesus did. So guess what? I know some of you are going to hate to hear this. Jesus was in a small group. He really was. So Jesus was in a small group. So let's learn from him this morning a few little things that we can learn. So much we can learn, but we've picked out a few little things that we're going to learn from Jesus this morning about a small group. So we're going to take a peek in just a moment. We're going to start with the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 5. Now Luke um, was a follower of Jesus, and he uh, really a historian, and uh, he he gathered all this information about the life of Jesus, and it's included in what we call the Gospel of Luke. Now, Jesus, we find um, through Luke and the other writers of the New Testament, but we're just going to start with Luke because we we need to start somewhere. Uh, Jesus got his group started with four guys, one, uh, two sets of brothers. So Peter and his brother Andrew and also with James and his brother John. So there's four people that Jesus involves in his small group right off the bat when Jesus begins this group. And these four men happen to all be fishermen. And so Jesus is talking to these guys, and here's kind of how that plays out in Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, And Jesus replied here to Simon, and that's Simon Peter. So This is who he's talking to. He said, Peter, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And verse 11 says this, as soon as they landed, they, and this is talking about these four guys, Peter and uh, his brother 
and the other two brothers, James and John, it says, as soon as they landed, they left everything to follow Jesus. And this was the beginning of their small group. Now, right after these four guys joined the small group, then uh, Jesus adds to that small group a guy named Philip, and then uh, a guy named Nathaniel. They were invited to join, and they join. And before it's over, counting Jesus, there were 13 people in this small group. But here's this first question I want to talk about. How did you get into this small group that Jesus was starting? And here's what we find in the New Testament. Jesus personally invited every person to join that group who he asked to join. So Jesus was inviting very intentionally. Jesus picked out very specific people. Now, for us at Stuttgart Harvest Church, when it's time for small groups, um, we do a massive sign-up right before that begins. But we can learn from Jesus here. Even though we do a massive sign-up, and we talk about it from right here, Cole and I talk about it every single week for about four weeks on Sundays. We mention it when we get up uh, to, to talk about connection cards and things. We talk about it for four weeks. But we can learn from Jesus because I think maybe a very effective thing that we can do if you are part of a small group, here's the first thing that we can learn. So from Jesus, this first thing we want to learn. Here's a, a small group uh, tip that we get from Jesus. We need to invite intentionally. When you sign up for a group, I would encourage you to look around you at the people that you're sitting near. A lot of times we sit often in the same place. A few of us are a little more strategic sometimes, and and they kind of move around. (laughs) I love it when I hear about that, but a lot of times we kind of sit in the same area, and there's some similar people who are around you often. And my encouragement would be, when it's time to sign up, I would encourage you to invite intentionally and to ask, hey, have you signed up for a group? And if not, to invite them into the group that you're going to sign up for, to invite intentionally, to look around and to ask, have you signed up for a group yet? And if they have, then congratulate them. If they haven't, then encourage them. Hey, I would love for you to be in a group with me. I would love for you to be in our group. And that can happen even when the groups are going on and sign-up has stopped. You can still ask someone, hey, um, are you in a group? And if they are not, then say, hey, at the next time we sign up, will you be in my group? I would love for you to be in my group when the next sign-up rolls around. For us to invite intentionally. Now, here's one thing we need to keep in mind. Because if we want to do this kind of the way Jesus did, then, then being intentional does not mean that we're looking to talk to people who look like us and who dress like us and who have similar backgrounds to us. That's not what Jesus did. That's not how he intentionally invited. He wasn't looking for people who were like him. After all, Jesus, his family trade was carpentry. 
It wasn't fishing. Jesus wasn't looking for another carpenter necessarily. Okay, so there were some other things he was looking for. We mentioned this uh, scene I'm going to talk about next, but we talked about it from the perspective of Matthew. Today we're going to stay with Luke for a moment. And we're going to look at this very same scene we talked about in week number one, but we're going to look at it from Luke's perspective. This is now Luke. We're going to jump to chapter 5, verse 27. So listen to this encounter that Jesus had, Luke, Luke 5, 27. Later, Jesus left the town and he saw a tax collector named Levi, and we know him as Matthew. Levi sitting at his tax collector booth. So Jesus walks up and here's what he says. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. In other words, come and join this small group. We got a small group started. We want you in it. Verse 28. So Levi got up. He left everything, similar to what the fishermen did, left everything and he followed him. Verse 29. So that's who Levi is, sitting there at the tax collector's booth, and he leaves it all. Very wealthy man, very wealthy man. He, he kind of walks away from a career even <laughs> to be a part of this small group. Verse 29 tells you a little bit about Matthew's character now. Later, Levi had a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. So who are these tax collectors? Not their name, but what kind of people were these? And these other people that were invited? Well, here we find out. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, to, so to his other small group members here. And here's what they said. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Now, Jesus answered back. So they were talking to the disciples, but Jesus answers. Healthy people don't need a doctor. And I, I can only imagine that Jesus, if he were <laughs> saying that today, would give us the air quotes. Healthy people. Because he knew the Pharisees were not healthy but they didn't know they weren't healthy, and they wouldn't admit it. They were the perfect people. Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those, not to call those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they're sinners to repent. Jesus hung out with and ate with and communicated with, and talked with, and now in this case invited into his small group someone that the other people, the other people in this town, the other people in this region, and really pretty much the other people in this entire race would call scum. And Jesus invited him into the small group. You see, Jesus wasn't looking for people that looked just like him. Jesus wasn't looking for people that had the same background. Yeah, they shared some same heredity through uh, bloodlines, yes. 
But that's about it. That's about it. Jesus was not looking for the perfect. He was not looking for those who thought they were all cleaned up and all fixed up and all righteous. No, 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 no. Matthew was nothing like the others. Matthew was hated by the people in that town. He was a tax collector. He was despised. He was a sinner. And according to them, Matthew was scum. I would say Jesus was pretty intentional about inviting Matthew into his small group. So being intentional does not mean you're looking out there and saying, hey, I need to find someone who thinks the way I think, who acts the way I act, who sees the world the way I see the world. No, that's not, we're not looking for another you. We have you. Jesus was intentional. It means we're looking for people. Number one, first priority, people who need to connect. In fact, the reality is this, I think, that different people from different backgrounds and different families, they make for a great group experience. After all, listen, really, I mean, I mean it works for Jesus, right? So they don't have to be like you. So what happened in the small group of Jesus. We looked at how Jesus got them into the group, but what happened once they got into this small group? Now, as you read the New Covenant, which we call the New Testament, as you read through those books and those letters, uh, we find that Jesus did a whole lot of things inside of that small group. They spent time together. They spent a lot of time together, kind of over that relational campfire. They spent time together. They had meals together. They had a lot of meals together. Something happens, you know, when you kind of pull up to the relational campfire and you have a meal. Something happens in that relationship. And I really can't describe it. But when you have a meal together, there's there is something that happens in that connecting, in that relationship. I don't know why sharing a meal together is so important. Um, but I do know this. We get to know each other more when we share a meal. For some reason, it just seems to be important to relationships. Jesus, his small group tip number two, I believe, is, is pretty pragmatic. That's why for us in our groups, as we spend time together in a small group at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we do, we encourage you. It doesn't happen every time, but we encourage you to have some kind of meal together. Because it helps relationships. Jesus. Jesus was great at relationships. 
lot of times we watch movies and things, and they'll have Jesus in them, kind of historical movies, and they'll have a, someone playing the role of Jesus and the script they've given him, and you know the way he acts and things he said. It, it's almost just like Jesus, the pious kind of robot, and he doesn't relate to people. He's, you know, it's just so weird. And I don't think that's an accurate depiction of Jesus, who was a master at relating to people. Jesus knew how to relate to people. I think we can really learn from him, so maybe we can learn some more. What else What else happened in the small group of Jesus? One of the things they did so often is they learned together. Now, Jesus was God. He didn't have anything to learn. But Jesus taught in that small group. He taught his disciples that, that small group. He taught them frequently. Jesus would teach in great big groups of people gathered, kind of like we teach on Sunday mornings, but then he would also take that small group and he would teach them very specific things. Constantly, they were learning something from Scripture or from stories or just from life. Jesus was teaching them. And in our small groups, we learn together too. We follow that example. We learn. Some of our groups have an actual teacher that, that presents something. Some of the groups borrow a teacher and we put in a DVD and we learn from another teacher. But we learn and, and one of the things is in learning, it's not just information and in learning, we want to take steps together toward Jesus and with Jesus. So we learn. What else happened in this small group of Jesus as he had the small group gathered? Now this next one is a big one. This is huge. It's care and it's prayer. You know what? Even Jesus asked from his small group. He did not ask this from the big group. He asked this from his small group. He asked for care. And he asked for prayer. Now Jesus clearly let us know he did not come to be served. But there's a difference between serving and what I'm talking about here and caring. And there was a moment where we learned from Jesus here that he even received care and prayer from his small group. And I know we think Jesus is perfect. He didn't need care. Jesus is perfect. He didn't need prayer. Well, guess what? This perfect Jesus that we serve, who is fully, completely God, became at the same time completely man so that he could die on the cross. God can't die. In order for God to die, he had to be Jesus. So he put on this flesh and blood, and this flesh and blood part of Jesus needed care because he was packed with all the emotions we have. He needed prayer. Listen to what happened in Matthew. We're going back to Matthew. This is Levi, by the way, the scum. <laughs> We're going to see what he had to say. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. He took Peter. Now, he is Jesus. Jesus took Peter and Zebedee's son. So, remember, the, oh, I, I didn't tell you they were Zebedee's son, but that's the other two that followed Jesus into the small group uh, along with, with Peter and his brother. These the other two brothers, James and John. So, Jesus took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Now, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus, who is perfect, became anguished. That did not make him imperfect. You know what it means? Jesus was human. 
fully God, but he was fully human. He became anguished. He became distressed. And he told them. So he's talking to some of his small group. And here's what he says. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He said, stay here. Keep watch with me. And Jesus in this moment is reaching out to his small group and he's saying, listen, I, I need you right now. Be with me. Stay here with me. Watch with me. Help care for me. And he goes on to tell them, hey, listen, I, I want you to pray for me. And Jesus, this is a big deal. In the small group of Jesus, not only did Jesus care for and pray for his small group, they cared for and they prayed for him. Now, albeit, we know this, they, they, they did not give Jesus all the care and the prayer that he, Jesus wanted, right? They fell asleep. But here's the point. Care and prayer was taking place in that small group. This is a big deal in our small groups. Care and prayer. They cared for each other. They prayed for each other. And at Stuttgart Harvest Church, it is in our small groups. They are not clubs. No. It is not a membership organization. It is a small family relating to each other over the campfire. It is a small family, and that is where we pray for each other. That is where we care for each other. That is where you let them know, here's what's going on in my life, and they pray for you. They let you know what's going on in their lives, and you pray for them. That's where it happens. That is where we learn how to care for each other better. That is where we learn how to pray for each other better. That is where it's practiced. That is where it's practiced best at Stuttgart Harvest Church. That is one of the most important reasons, one of the biggest reasons why we continually talk to you. Three times a year we spend four weeks mentioning small groups and encouraging you to sign up. So here's Jesus' small group, group tip number three. It is very possible that if you are not in a small group at Stuttgart Harvest Church, it's very possible that you will not feel cared for. It is so very possible that you may feel like you are not known. It's very possible you may feel that way if you're not in a small group. Small groups are not just kind of a one-time thing. It's like, oh yeah, I did that you know, three years ago. I was in a small group, so yeah, I'm on board. No, small groups, we, we encourage you to sign up every single time we offer sign-ups, which is three times a year. It's your best opportunity at Stuttgart Harvest Church to be cared for. Listen, it, it is, it's a proven impossibility for your pastors at Stuttgart Harvest Church, for Cole, for myself, and as that pastor staff will grow, it's impossible for your pastors to give a church that has the reach 
that our church has, it's impossible for us to personally give care to each person. And that is the beauty of the small group because that is where care can happen. And like, the, like these disciples of Jesus who were in his small group, we do it imperfectly this side of heaven. But that is where we're learning more and more how to care for each other, how to pray for each other. It's your best opportunity to be cared for. It's your best opportunity to be prayed for. This is your best opportunity for you to learn how to care for others and you to learn how to pray for others. But you know what? Jesus' small group did even more than that. We find all through the New Covenant that the small group of Jesus, they were busy not just caring for each other and praying for each other. They were busy serving the people around them. They were busy. Jesus was always constantly sending them out to serve other people, sending them out into the community and the surrounding areas. And for us, serving is also a part of our small groups. That's why you keep hearing us talk about um, these things we're calling block parties where we get together at one of your group members' homes in their front yard or nearby, and, and we set up some grills, and we cook some hot dogs and hamburgers, and, and we feed your neighbors because we are in the process of serving them and loving them and trying to serve them all the way to Jesus. Just That's how we do it. We don't invite people to say, hey, come. We, we go out to them and we try to serve them towards Jesus. And our small groups are busy doing that every single trimester. And that's serving. And guess what? Listen, we know this. The small group of Jesus, this may be shocking to you, but it was messy. It was messy. Now, Jesus was perfect, but his small group, was not. Within two pages, if you just go to the, to the Gospel of Mark, Mark was one of the followers of Jesus, and in this small group, and you go to that Gospel, and, and within two pages, you can find how messy the small group of Jesus was. Within two pages, just reading through these two pages, listen to these few things that, 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 that happened. Jesus had to go and get on to his go-to person, his go-to member, which in this was really Peter was his go-to guy in the small group. And he had to go to Peter, and he had to just really let Peter have it. <laughs> he, he set Peter straight. He had to go to him and do that. You just read just a little bit further, and Jesus has to go. He's talking to Peter this time, but he's looking at all the other people in his small group. And Jesus has to straighten them up, and he has to say, listen, stop this. Close your mouths. Stop what you're saying. Don't say that anymore. You don't have, when you're saying those things, Jesus is saying, you don't have the mind of God. You're not thinking the way God thinks, so just stop saying that. And he really gets on him in that moment. It was messy. And then Jesus goes a little further down, and guess who's involved in this one again? Peter, here we go again. Now listen, notice that the main person he's not getting on to is the one that everyone called the scum. <laughs> he's talking to Peter here, and, and Jesus had to deal with Peter about missing this bigger vision 
of what God had planned. And Peter was focusing on this one little moment and saying, hey, let's just stay here and let's build a church right here and let's just, let's just call this our church and not go anywhere else. Let's just stay right here. Jesus said, no, 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 no. We've got to get out of here and go do some other stuff out there. And he gets on to Peter again. Jesus actually, and if you, as you read on in these two pages, he had to stop an argument between his small group and some of the members of this religious uh, uppity-up group. And Jesus had to step in and stop a fight between them. Jesus had to rescue his group members when they couldn't do what Jesus had asked him to do, when he asked them to go and to to kind of perform some miracles, and they couldn't do it. Jesus had to step in and rescue them. Jesus had to correct his small group when they began to argue among themselves inside the small group about who was better than the other, and who was greater, and who was going to get the best, and who was going to get to sit by Jesus, you know. And Jesus had to step in and break up this whole... Neg- Jesus, the small group of Jesus was not perfect. It was messy. Jesus is perfect. His group was not. But you know what? Jesus understood something so critical. He understood the principle of the process. He did not only see as he looked at his small group, where they were in that moment. He didn't just see Peter where Peter was in that moment in his growth and his development. He didn't just see Matthew where Matthew was in that moment as everyone else would look at Matthew and say, you are scum. Jesus didn't see that. He didn't just see where they were but Jesus saw what they were becoming. And that's the process. By being involved in Stuttgart Harvest Church and then being involved making our way into a small group, we are in the process of becoming. And the process of becoming looks very Messy. Now, after today, we have even more pressure (laughs) to be in a small group because Jesus was in a small group. And just maybe, if we're going to follow Jesus, just maybe we need to be in a small group as well. If being too busy has kept you out of a small group, guess what? Jesus, I bet he was pretty busy. He was getting ready to die for the sins of the world. He had this small group to train up because they were going to carry on after he died and rose again. But Jesus made it a priority. Even though he was busy. If being too shy has kept you out of a small group, then the reality is that will keep you isolated and alone. 
which is the opposite of what our heart is really crying for when we're shy. I know. If being too dug in and thinking, I hardly listen, you can talk about it all you want, and I'll listen, but I refuse to get into a small group. If you're a dug in and allowing that to keep you away from a group, then I, I can just simply say this, just out, out of love and kindness, I, that kind of stubbornness does not just keep you out of a small group. Here's the reality. That kind of stubbornness keeps us away from Jesus. Jesus said, come and follow me. So here's my challenge. Jump on. Let's ride. And let's just hit pause on this journey called Stuttgart Harvest Church. And let's gather around the relationship fire like Jesus did. I hope you'll do that with us. And here's what all of this means today. Because guess what? We're not signing up for groups today. <laughs> so this, here's what we're talking about the future. Here's what I'm asking you. Our next group sign-up is not going to happen for another four weeks or so. It's going to be in September, kind of the end of August and in September is when we will be doing group sign-ups again. But here's what I'm asking. Will you decide right now, while the pressure is not on and you don't have the form in your hand, will you decide now? If you're already in a group, decide to be in a group again. If you're not in a group this trimester, then decide. When the sign-ups come, I will sign up for a group. If you decide now, that's going to make that so much easier for yourself. You won't have that inner conflict when it comes up during sign-up time. And here's the second thing I'm going to ask you to do. Will you do what Jesus did and will you strategically invite people to be in that group with you? Just invite them in. Are you in a group? You're, you're not. Well, I'm going to sign up for a group next trimester. Will you sign up in the same group I'm going to sign up in? I want to invite you in. Will you do that? Because this... This is where care happens. We hit pause three times during the year. And we gather around the campfire together in these small groups. Because that's where relationships grow. And that's where we learn together to serve together. And that's where we learn around this campfire. We learn how to pray for each other. And we learn how to care for each other. After all, this is how we can actually say no one stands alone because we invite them into a group so that no one stands alone. Join me as we pray. Jesus, may we follow your example. May we step away from isolation and step into a group. And Jesus, you are perfect. But this side of heaven, our groups will never be perfect. But maybe we say yes to the mess. The mess of learning how to care for each other.
Jesus, may we step over our obstacles. And Jesus, may we make the time in our lives. May we step over our pride. And may we step through our shyness. And may we say yes to you, Jesus. Amen.